Hi, my name is Hillary McCloy. I'm a backcountry skier, a trail runner, a physio, an ultra running coach, and a Nerona ambassador. And this is my partner. Hi, my name is Andrew Drummond. I'm a backcountry skier, a trail runner, manager of an outdoor ski shop, also roast my own coffee, and a Nerona ambassador as well. Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Ivan Eitzlot. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, we will meet Norona ambassadors Andrew Drummond and Hilary McCloy. This American couple lives and works in the famous White Mountains region in New Hampshire, U.S., Hillary is a former athlete at the U.S. Alpine ski team for five years, and they are both enthusiastic backcountry skiers and trail runners today. We have invited them to our podcast studio in Oslo, Norway, to talk about how they share their enthusiasm and inspire others in their local community, and how they would describe the brand new trail running collection from Nurona, called the Sanya Line. Hi, Hilary and Andrew. Hi. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. You're looking so good, so happy and strong. Have you been running today or something? We've run five out of the last six days. I think. <laughs> five out of the last six days. Yeah, it's been a big week. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Where have you been? Jeez, yeah. So Oslo proper, yeah. you know, this is where we were yesterday and a week, a week ago, but sandwiched in there was a, a nice long trip to Senja. Senja, the island up in northern Norway. Yes. Yeah, so we flew up to Bardafoss mm-hmm. and then drove out to Senja. And we spent five days climbing and hiking, finding some of the most like dramatic ridgelines and and just ran all over and, and were able to really experience and, you know, get tired and dirty and and uh, test out the new uh, Nerona trail running line. Oh. This sounds like the good thing about being <laughs> Nurona ambassadors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a hybrid of work and vacation, yeah. but mostly vacation, especially yeah. in the scenery that you're in up there in the mountains and then with the crew that we were with. It was total total vacation mode, but we worked pretty hard at the same time. Is this something we can look forward to see in the movie or in photos? Yeah, they were shooting um, lots of photos, but mm-hmm. then we did quite a bit of video um, there were two different drones going, and then they had one of the, I always forget the name of it, the, what is that drone? FPV drone. FPV drone. Yeah, yeah. The fast the, one. The fast one. The acrobatic one. <laughs> yeah, we, he, they first flew it when we were standing on this top of this arch. Yeah. On this very narrow spot that just dropped down, you know, hundreds of feet, and it went flying, <laughs> un, like, underneath us, and it was... <laughs> It almost it like start it like startled me. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna fall over. But there was a professional pilot. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good thing. But it was just really it was impressive. I've been around other drones, and this was definitely a yeah. a different different situation. How would you describe the the Senya nature? Jeez. Yeah, I mean it, it was very few trails. Yeah, yeah, they're really they're some of the more popular peaks, and then very rugged terrain, striking like drop-offs, lots of um, fingers in the fjords there. 
and every peak looked a little different as soon as you changed perspective. So what looked like a mound on one side could be like a sheer uh, <laughs> 2000 foot cliff on the other side. Yeah. It was, it was wild. And like, you know, we'd heard so much about the weather and, uh, we were prepared for like the, the worst storms and everything, but we, we were fortunate. We only had one bad day. Okay. Relatively bad day, but it would like, it would always clear up. And yeah. we were on, we were in no rush because we always wanted to get some of the good light potentially at the end of the day. Um, but overall, it was like, felt very familiar in a way with our terrain back home and in the Northeast. The United States is very similar. Okay. Um, but yeah, just gorgeous. Sounds like a great trip. Mm hmm. And you were able to try on the, the new Norona Senja trail running clothing line. Yes. How would you describe that collection? I think the collection is, I think first off, like just aesthetically, it's very, I really like the colors and it's um, just really clean and looks great. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. <laughs> But also, some of it we did you? bring some of it here. Yeah. Um, I brought in a, one of the shells. It's a Gore-Tex shell. But it's very light, and it's this really nice um, kind of like blue and coral color. Um, and then they're the shorts I've been wearing a lot this summer. Um, and basically, what really struck me was the materials, mm -hmm. the uh, the shorts, and then the t-shirt and long sleeve material. I've been wearing the t-shirt a lot at home in New Hampshire, and it's we've had a very hot and humid summer. Yeah. And I think normally I would put on, you know, like a sleeveless shirt, but I've been wearing that t-shirt a lot, and it it didn't even feel like I was wearing it. Like, you know, sometimes when you sweat and it gets heavy, um, it was just really comfortable. And, yeah, you almost feel like you're not wearing anything, which is really nice yeah. when you're out running. Um, so... Then it was really f fun to come here and wear it in, you know, I feel like, you know, being in Norway, we're able to understand more where their ideas for their products come from. Because this is their, you know, where Norona's born and <laughs> yeah. created. Um, and I can see how the pieces fit in really well in the climate here. And, and like Andrew was saying, we were excited for some like bad, like windy, cold weather. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe because it's been so hot at home. Um, Finally got some bad yeah. weather. So we had some wind and some rain, and, and so that was fun. But yeah, overall, it's really it's really comfortable. And like I said, you when you're running and you're hot and tired, you don't really want to have to think about what you're wearing or, or, or feel it. And I feel like that is definitely the case mm. with, the, with the materials they chose for the, at least the shirt and the shorts, which is primarily what I've worn. Mm. And if you get bad weather you mm -hmm. can just put on this light jacket and yeah you're mm -hmm. in control right like uh for instance yesterday we ran in northern oslo yeah and just as we were finishing the last couple of kilometers near the holman colon jump yeah you run through the woods yeah around above the, it and, and um, through the ski jump mm -hmm. the holman colon And it the, it just started raining immediately raining so hard and so I put my shell on and I was pretty dry. My legs were wet, but um, it was perfect. Yeah, I had it in my backpack and my running vest, and so it was a good. You were the first woman in Norway to wear that jacket. Yeah, at Holmenkolla <laughs> ski yes, jump. Exactly. <laughs> It's a good thing. Yeah, and we would like to get to know you a little better. So you must tell us something about your home in the White Mountains, in New Hampshire, U.S. 
So yeah, we live in New Hampshire, which is a small state just north of Boston, Massachusetts. And we live in a really small town Mm -hmm. up in the national forest called the White Mountains. And so we're really lucky. We have access to lots of pretty rugged terrain, mountainous terrain compared to the rest of the state and then the surrounding region. Um, And... Yeah, I spend most of my time, I'm a physiotherapist, so that's my day job, but that definitely has been really fun combining that with being an athlete and backcountry skier and and like mountain runner. Um, And so that's primarily my focus. And then with Andrew's businesses, I'm sort of there in the background, you know, helping Mm -hmm. with some advice. But yeah, in the summer, spend most of our time hiking and trail running and you know, we have a variety of terrain and, you know, it's short and it's steep and rocky, which is very, we kept saying how much Senya sort of seemed like home. You know, you start in the forest and then pretty quickly you're above tree line and it's just all granite rocks. Yeah. Um, so so that, it was a little bit familiar. Yeah. The, ter- the terrain was familiar, but the landscape very different with mm. beautiful fjords. And, um, but do you have high mountains as well in New Hampshire? Yeah. Yeah. We've, Definitely have peaks like you have to get above tree line. You know, it takes a lot more work. Yeah, you start a lot more forest. We have a tree density problem, so you get up maybe to three thousand feet plus. It starts to get a little. The trees get shorter. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, there's. I mean, those are the most sought after locations in our mountains or anywhere you're above tree line. That's where the views are. So we have a few mountain ranges that have some beautiful ridge lines, but. Like up in Senya, you're above treeline almost all the time. Yeah. So up there, it's no almost no trees yeah. at all, right? Mm-hmm. But our highest peak is six thousand feet, so two thousand meters. Yeah. That's the highest one. And what's the name in Mount Washington? Mount Washington. Mount mm-hmm. yeah. Washington. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful peak, or is that somewhere mm. you just it, go? We call it the rock pile. Yeah. So it's basically <laughs> a big pile. pile of rocks. <laughs> But it's dramatic. It's in the middle of a of like a ridge of of peaks, mm-hmm. and so you can look all around on a clear day. You can see the ocean, and then you can see into Vermont. And it's just it's really unique to the area. When you're driving down the road down the beginning of the hiking trail, you can't really see it, and you get up there, and it's just this completely different world. Yeah, this sounds like a great area to live. Yeah. Is this uh, a region where the New Yorkers come? For the weekends, because how long is how far is New York from uh, your home? New York is probably seven hour drive. Yeah, so not too long, not too far. So we get a lot of people from New York, but the majority of the population comes up from Boston okay. and Massachusetts. Yeah, and then the seacoast of Maine and southern New Hampshire and and Vermont. So mm-hmm. it's sort of the epicenter for for backcountry skiing in the Northeast yeah. is Mount Washington because it's reliable. It's going to get st- those little storms add up mm-hmm. and then by the end of the season, it's the only place to ski. Yeah. So people make this pilgrimage in usually April and May up to get their spring turns in. Okay. This is uh, a big sport over there, like the backcountry and the skinning. It's definitely growing. Yeah. Um, we moved, we were living in California and we moved back to New Hampshire eight years ago. And at that point, I think you know, just the sport in general all over was was just starting to pick up some popularity. And so just in that 
amount of time in New Hampshire, it's definitely grown a lot. Yeah. Um, just access, awareness, the equipment has changed a lot. And so it's definitely a growing sport within skiing for sure. Mm. And definitely growing considerably in our area. But at the, at the same time, historically, Mount Washington and Tuckerman Ravine mm. specifically has been like a circus every spring where like in the, even in like the thirties and stuff, like people have been doing this forever. Yeah. Like climbing, hiking up with their skis and skiing down and hundreds and hundreds of people will, will just manifest in the bowl and it becomes a bit of a circus. I mean, that's where I cut my teeth back on like, so to speak, backcountry skiing or steep skiing. Yeah. And it was the, it didn't matter about the equipment. It was just, that was where people went and this is how they did it. They hiked up, skied down. Oh, it's yeah. sort of the there's a ravine on off of Mount Washington called Tuckerman's Ravine, mm-hmm. and it's sort of this like rite of passage for skiers in New England and New York to come try to ski it. And usually in the spring, when the conditions are the most, um, this I'd say that you know safest with avalanche and the yeah. most forgiving if you fall. Sounds like a steep line, but it's yeah, it's a it's like a bowl essentially, and and it's really steep. You know, it's it's uh, there's always stories and. That you hear because it's very accessible. Anyone can drive up and hike in three miles. You can, you can carry your gear up about a thousand feet of climb, a thousand meters of climbing, mm-hmm. and then people go up with no experience. They don't know what they're doing, but they just know they're there, <laughs> and that can often be a recipe for disaster. Um, and so, I think it's really unique in that sense. Where I think anywhere else, at least in the U.S., if you were going to go be able to approach and ski terrain like that, it's a much bigger operation. Maybe you need a guide, you know, maybe you can't just drive up and hike up and do it. And so that's what makes it very unique. Mm -hmm. And like Andrew was saying, in the spring on a beautiful weekend day, there could be 500 people up there just not, you know, have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Yeah. um, And dangerous. Very dangerous. Um, It's, I know, it's entertaining in a way, and you know, in a, you feel bad enjoying watching people fall, but. Um, and you just come out to rescue all, all the victims. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they have a big. Um, Hillary's carried a dog down. I've carried. You've carried. We both carried people's dogs down. <laughs> but it's steep. It's like it's the real deal. I mean, it's like forty to fifty degrees, yeah. and it's steep it's, enough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not like enough. sustained for that long. You know, it's a relatively short pitch and. As you have more snow, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little more forgiving. There are less hazards and the slope angle changes. It's surprising though; no one, very few injuries, but they happen and they happen all year round. Yeah, you know, it's a thing of just being prepared in the mountains. Um, there are full time rangers up there. Okay, that's a help. good thing. And then in the spring, they have lots of volunteer patrol. Yeah, because they need it on some days. But I've heard that you two, you are good skiers, and you also joined the the U.S. Alpine. Yes. Team. Mm-hmm. For five years? Mm-hmm. So you've been a skiing a ago. lot. Yes. I've been skiing a lot since I could walk, basically. <laughs> but mostly, I spent most of my life skiing on, you know, groomed. icy groom trails and chasing gates. Um, and well, then... At high speed. Yes. So that was fun. But it's been a, a definitely a big transition going and skiing in the backcountry. And I hadn't skied much steeps until when we moved back to New Hampshire. So um, it's been really fun to 
learn a different way of skiing. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's really fun to make fast giant slalom turns, but um, I still really enjoy that. But it's been really fun to try to learn skiing yeah. in a slightly different way, different equipment. But she had the fundamental oh, mm-hmm. skiing technique. Easily one of the best skiers in our region, just yeah. technique wise. It's fun. It's fun to follow, and we have a lot of talent coming out of our region just from that the ski programs and. They do a really good job of introducing kids to skiing at a young age. Oh. There's um, a program that will get kids out in the afternoon. Yeah, It doesn't matter what your income is or anything. They provide the gear and everything. And you can get into Nordic or Alpine. That's great. And then... And all the schools. Yeah. And I mean, I was I got to do the weekend programs and then I do the school program. Yeah. So it was a lot of just part of the culture is getting your kids out skiing when you live in an area that has so many ski resorts, you know, New Hampshire has, I don't know, 20 to 30 ski resorts in the, that in, yeah, in the state. So it's, it's very prevalent. And in the wintertime, it's like, what else are you going to do? Are you going to stay inside and play basketball maybe, but there's watch TV. Yeah. yeah. You want to, you want to, if you want to stay active, it's the winter sports yeah. that, uh, I think a lot of the, the youth get exposed to. So both skiing in the ski resorts with your alpine skis or snowboard and backcountry skiing and Nordic skiing as well? Yeah, I, I think the backcountry thing is relatively new for mm-hmm. the mainstream. There have been people doing it for long long before we ever discovered it, you know, in the 90s and um, playing with Telemark skis or yeah. just some old first-generation alpine touring frame bindings or first-generation Dina fits. And... The, with the gear getting better, with organizations popping up for um, creating and maintaining backcountry terrain, we have a we have a big tree, like I said, a tree po- tree density problem where uh, we can't. There's when the hazards are dangerous, you don't really have many options to go except for the resort. But there's some old CCC trails. This this old Civilian Conservation Corps. Okay. The government hired workers to make skiable terrain way back when. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> But they've since become overgrown. And, yeah. and so some local organizations are trying to clean those up. And same mm-hmm. thing happened, you know, this is in Vermont as well. But create safe, like, backcountry terrain to ski. When well, the, thin, when, thin out the trees and create glade zones. Yeah, these, yeah, yeah. you know, call them glades and... Or just maintain ski trails yeah. that aren't lift access. So it's pretty fun, like to have that going on. And then the Nordic culture is good. We have a lot of different Nordic centers, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, it's been tougher the past few years. Just the snow hasn't been as great. I mean, that's a tough sport to begin with, where just like you just need a little bit of snow to, to Nordic ski, but a little bit of rain gets rid of it. <laughs> yeah. that snow just as fast. Um, and then the Alpine culture is just. You know, it's still strong, but it's um, things are changing. Okay, definitely changing. Like you'll always have the families and the demand for the alpine mm-hmm. lift serve, but you're seeing a lot more people become self reliant and want to get into the backcountry or want to get yeah. their alpine touring set up so that if the lifts aren't spinning, like we saw when COVID hit, then they they can still get out and do go somewhere. Mm. And that's great. It is great. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think so. It's it's like the push that people needed. Mm to get into the sport, to, um, you know, help build that community. And and I think anything you can do to be outside and be moving and active is just so important too. I think coming more from my physio side of things, you know, I think the more people can be motivated and have the opportunity to go do things outside and move yeah. is really important, especially now. I feel like 
culturally, you know, especially kids are inside all the time on their phones. Mm. <laughs> um, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. But like <laughs> hours getting hours. them out, getting them out um, to be active and and be out in nature, and I think it's so good for us physically mm. and um, mentally as well. So it's been really neat, especially I mean through COVID, that was a huge um, shift, and you know, people were just anything they can do to be outside. And, and over here, it seems like there's a bigger culture around going and doing things outside, hiking. We saw families hiking up in Senya. And, mm. um, I think not generally, I think as a population, that's not as, as pushed or as popular in the U S. And so just, I think any opportunity to be outside and enjoying nature is really important. I know that you two, you share your enthusiasm and you inspire in your local community. You have to tell us how you do that. Yeah, I mean, I think foremost, I guess, in general, from just the whole community sense, and you can get more into this, Andrew, but his business, Ski the Whites, you know, started, and it began with just his, you know, curiosity and stoke for skiing and, and getting excited and exploring some of these really interesting backcountry zones in our area. And then and he, you know, is great at making videos and, and created this sort of like energy and excitement around it. And that is what ended up becoming Ski the Whites, which is now this like backcountry focused ski shop. But originally it all started out with events. So these, you know, weekly summer um, hike like mountain running events mm -hmm. you can run or hike up a mountain up a trail every Friday night and then in the, in the winter every Friday night it's a skinning event where we set up lanterns to set the track and people come and and it's been really incredible just to see um, so many people get to experience this sport for the first time and especially with the skiing and at night you know like how often do you ski at night not very often no. and you were, I think he was one of the first shops in the area that rented the equipment because it's a pretty big investment to buy a backcountry yeah. setup, right? Yeah. You have to get everything new. And so through renting and just enabling anyone to come try it, it just created this awesome sort of just energy and, and um, camaraderie. And I think we've met so many people that have come and then are just so excited. You know, every week people calm down and they just couldn't imagine anything could be that fun. And in their, and, you know, and they're talking about something where they had to hike up a mountain, right? <laughs> but it's fun, <laughs> you know? And so I think those two events, they've been going for five years now. Mm -hmm. Um just looking back on it every once in a while, reflecting on it, it's it's incredible to just, like every summer when we do the first summer one, all these people come who we didn't see all winter who might not ski, you know, and it's like you're the summer community. And and then I think through all of that, his shop has sort of become this hub and, you know, people want to, you know, come meet Andrew and, you know, and and just kind of be a part of it. And I don't know, it's really it's been really cool. Um, to see the shift and the change yeah. in the whole community. And, and it's really just people telling their friends and, and then having this like personal experience that's really powerful and, and then, then they want to do it again, you know? So I don't know. It's been Sounds really cool. amazing. Yeah. And it just, it just sort of happened organically. You know? I would just like to move over to yeah. your, to your yeah. region yeah. and just participate. So yeah, it, I would recommend coming and visiting. Yeah. <laughs> and you also have this uh, event called the, uh, last skier standing 
Yeah, last year standing. We've done um, three editions of it so far. And the format, you know, t- talking about all the events we host, um, it's all, um, it's like, I look at li- like life as, you know, what do you do for yourself? Like what's personal, like personal enjoyment? And then what do you do to make money? How are you going to live? And then like, I guess another part in there is the community aspect. And yeah. it's sort of this triangle and you're always like pivoting and some stuff bleeds over into the other corners. But, you know, last year standing is this another event that I was like, this would be, this would be fun. Um, actually it wasn't me. It was, so the format of last year standing is a last, it's a last person. Like, it comes yeah. from a running, it comes from the running, running background okay. of you do one lap. So in the running world, you do one lap on a four point, you're supposed to be like a four point, whatever, one, two mile, 4.16 mile course. So that at the end of 24 hours, you've done a hundred miles. Yeah. And there's only one finisher. So it goes until there's only one person left. And <laughs> every hour you do a new, a new lap. And the format is, is a little bizarre, but once you've done it, it's, it makes sense because at the end of every lap, everyone's all back to uh, all back together again. And so it's really social. Whereas a lot of ultras just get spread out. And yeah. you might be by yourself for hours and hours and yeah. hours. But and and just to add on, and also it's not about speed; it's about like tactics and the, it's the long, it's the slow long game. So then it it clears the board for anyone. You know, you could have a really fast young runner mm-hmm. and a an really smart older runner, and it's an even playing field because it doesn't matter how fast you go. It's just you know. Who because I, I saw this video from maybe it was last year's or 2020 or something. It might have been the first year. Yeah, yeah it was, there was a guy and he was not the youngest guy winning that event. Exactly. So <laughs> feedback from the running was, why don't you try this on skis? And, you know, I really didn't think much of it. It didn't appeal to me. Most of the events I do are ones that I'd want to participate in and I try to yeah. as much as possible. But uh, a couple people said that they would do it. So we talked to the local resort and they agreed to do it and so that was yeah that was three years ago we had no idea what would how would you how would you transition this to skiing from running like how much vertical how much time you need to turn transition and we just winged it and it like you're saying you're watching that video there's a young guy and an old guy and it's like there was you know the heavy metal category where you have a traditional alpine touring setup but then you have the lightweight the schemo setups and tried to make two a variation in the course to even it out and it was really tricky to to do that and eventually in the next years we just got rid of it and if you had lightweight gear you had lightweight gear okay that's just part of it but yeah. uh again it it doesn't matter it ma- you know everything matters like your age matters and your fitness matters but we found that if you were s- smart about it or you know, took care of yourself and were mentally prepared or better at sleep deprivation or whatever, had more reason to keep continuing because most people just stop because they're uncomfortable and they don't want, it's not like they can't do another lap. It's not like they timed out on that lap. Well, they just feel, they just decided to stop. You get to the point where you say, why am I doing this? I could just stop. (laughs) I uh, imagine that I would think that around like, 10 hours or 11 hours or it, something? It, it drops off. Like, There's a quite a few people that drop around there. It does 50% drop off at like, yeah, 12 hours. Yeah. And then another like 80% have dropped off by 24 hours. 24 of hours. Of the field, yeah. And for how long do people So the, yeah, the first, the first year went, I want to say 34 hours or so. Yeah. Somewhere in that region. And then the next year jumped way up where um, 40, 
61. It was like 48 hours in or something like that where there's only two left and then they just kept going. It's crazy to think like people had gone home, like that started this event, went home, slept, woke up, they're still going, went home, slept, and like it's still going. <laughs> but it, it went 62 hours the second year. That's crazy. And then last year, you know, it went 65 on like a maybe hours. a slightly more difficult course but um you know obviously conditions weather conditions and everything yeah. plays a factor but once there's something with that mental breakthrough of if someone else did it then i could do it attitude so, yeah so think about it, it starts at saturday at 10 a.m and those guys finished at monday two, night no, 2 a.m on tuesday like 2 a.m at tuesday and you stay there all the time just to organize it so i have a i'm i'm lucky Lucky to have a an awesome co race director, okay. Monty. Shout out Monty for all my events and all the events we do. Yeah. So he's my right hand man. We like we collaborate on all these, and uh, so we take shifts a bit. You know, he's more of the race director. I'm more of the guy on course, mm-hmm. taking photos. And there are a lot of volunteers. Yeah. People love to come volunteer for yeah. these, which is great. But so it's, they they're all important. You know, it's an event that I didn't think would have the traction that it has. You know, but. It's, it, it worked the first year, and then I understand. I was more surprised. Why haven't other people copied this? I, th- I think with these events, people find like these new levels that yeah. they didn't realize they had. They they're able to push themselves, and whether it's they're chasing numbers or time, like they stack. You know, we call it stacking vert. They accumulate the most vertical they've ever done, mm-hmm. more than any ski tour they've done, or they've covered the most distance, or they've been up the longest for an endurance event. Um, it's pretty special when you have these events because all these people are doing their personal best. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if they finish it or if they make it to certain tiers within the event. It's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Once you, once you sort of weed out the people that just aren't having their day, the, once you start getting the people that are having their day, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And in addition, you get to know people. Yes. And you have friends mm-hmm. in the end of the day. Yeah. Friends through suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something special. Yeah, you yeah. get Friends to know you get to know the crew because because you know most of the for most of the hour the competitors are gone mm-hmm. and so it's just the only people at the bottom are people working it maybe some spectators and then the people helping the skiers or the runners so you get to know them really well because it's just a lot of and then they're back for you know twenty to five minutes and there's a flurry of activity and mm-hmm. then they're all gone again so it's you spend a lot of time with people who are supporting the event <laughs> it's good yeah, yeah. And it, it all it all goes back to community where when we got into this it was pretty fragmented everyone had their touring partner mm. and that was sort of it there weren't any big group meetups or anything so events that that we host or there's another nonprofit called granite backcountry alliance that helps maintain the glades but it's all these opportunities to meet other people mm. you know that could be your potential ski partners and that just makes things more fun it's more fun to be in the backcountry and if you see someone not be worried about them stealing your powder, but you know, chances are they're one of your friends or a friend of a friend. Yeah. You'd want to like take their photo, or you'd want them to have the first run, and that's pretty special. That's a total shift in the attitude mm. that we've seen in the in the last ten years. It's great. So this is why you choose to share your enthusiasm to get some really really good results with people just being friends all over the mountain and saying hello to the one that you didn't know yesterday. Definitely. And I think, yeah, that's sort of come along, you know, as part of it, you know, that wasn't the goal, I don't think for me, you know, but that's what it's become. And then yeah. it's, it's surprise. I mean, not surprising, but that's the piece that you end up really appreciating is the, 
the people and and then their experiences and because you know we know we love it so it's fun to share that yeah yeah i agree i mean having a i have a retail shop and retail is retail you can sell the best gear in the world but i still consider it we need to distill it down it's still retail but mm-hmm. the people you meet the people that come in the events that that's the fun part i think of you yeah. know the business side is like yeah we're not out there to make money we're out there to have a good time mm-hmm. And a byproduct is the community aspect. I mean, it was just very, everything's very incremental. Mm. You know, I may selfishly make these events that I think would be fun to participate in and not really worrying about the rest. You know, if it's fun, like people will want to be there, the rest will happen. You'll have this community aspect. And that's been like, yeah, it's easy to look back and think, that was all the that was all intentional, but it was really just <laughs> no. a by, it was it's really kind of a byproduct and but it, it's the path that made the most sense and yeah. and now it's a little more in the forefront of yeah what else can we do mm. you know looking if, if we have time to start planning a little bit more and get caught up because everything's just been it's busy you know we do events maybe twenty six weeks out of the year where we'll have an event that week. That's you a know, lot. Our, our ski series is 10 weeks and our summer series is 10. Our winter series is like 12 weeks, some winters, but 10 weeks in the summertime doing a vertical series with trail running. And then all the other, we do a road race. We do a backyard ultra. We do a nighttime trail race. Uh, and there's probably a couple more that I want to throw <laughs> in, the, throw in the mix, but it adds up, you know, it's a lot of commitment, a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, like Hillary said, you get the right people involved, and yeah. it takes takes help. This isn't something that Hillary and I just do on our own. It's a lot of volunteers and hmm. support from from brands too that want to see it happen. Yeah, and at the same time, I can imagine that your retail shop is an amazing place to be. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you have the real kind of gear going on there. Yeah, the retail shop um, really started, I guess. If if you go back to 2016, I officially made Ski the Whites a thing, and that was working out of my our farmhouse that we were renting in the back of my truck, okay. getting people on gear, just pretty much letting anyone demo it, and then really becoming an expert in the terrain that we ski in so that if people wanted to know more, you know, some of that's through the photos and videos, but also just being a resource to others, and that's sort of what I would want if I was going to go buy gear from a store, not just someone that listen to the sales rep talk about the cons- the ski construction. It's like, well, how did it ski in this terrain? Or like, what attributes do you really like in, in your, the application of the gear? Mm. Then the, the following year, I got a small nursery space at the Black Mountain Ski Resort in Jackson, where okay. we are now. And that was huge because all of a sudden I had this space that I could operate out of. And I, at the time, I didn't know how it was going to work, but I ended up doing a lot more rentals. It was such a cool model where, yeah, you're breaking down that gear barrier, letting people get out. You're you're pushing them off usually into a safe environment at the ski resort, or they could take the gear offsite. Mm. And now they have this connection to you, and you're building up your customer base, and you're introducing them to modern backcountry gear. And then that also just having the mountain right there was such a great opportunity to do events. And so they just let me do, you know, I, I proposed something. At some event like you know last year standing and it was awesome the small resort the owner just had to say yes or no mm-hmm. and often just said yes and so we had this really beautiful location to do all these events and and to do clinics and you know anything we could think of like we did a thursday morning free rentals thing called bagels plus basics we'd bring bagels from the local bagels <laughs> yeah. bagel shop yeah. and i would i would teach 
give people pointers on how to ski better. <laughs> yeah, and Hillary would do Fantastic. some like because a lot of people get involved in backcountry, they might not have the formal Technique. background techniques, mm -hmm. and and to help people ski safer, mm -hmm. but also enjoy it more. You know, if you have the proper technique, you're going to ski Way more. more fun. Yeah, ski more assertive and be on the offense a little more than be on the defense. And so that was like again this little cubby hole at the resort, and we eventually expanded into the employee lounge they gave us. And then, um, yeah, after like after a little while, I realized I looked around and I'm knocking on my 40s and thinking, is this it? Is this what I'm doing with my life? This little cubby hole, and um, ev eventually, like a a retail space went on the market in Jackson, down three miles down the road, mm -hmm. more in a central location, and jumped on the opportunity to to buy that building as a as a means to not not be so tied to the resort, you know, because if they don't open, then I don't open. No. So it felt like uh, the move to make and it allowed us a place to live in Jackson and then expand into other things. Like Hillary had her clinic there for a little while. I ended up buying a coffee roaster. So I started my own coffee coffee business on the side. As well. As well. <laughs> and then I also didn't know what to do in the summertime. So one of my coworkers was really into mountain biking. And so we just used the leverage of all of our winter experience to get accounts in the bike industry. So he helped uh, pick and choose brands to work with. And mm -hmm. so we brought bikes in and then I'd already been doing the trail running stuff, but since I had a brick and mortar, official brick and mortar shop with more regular hours, it was easier to bring more brands in. Yeah, of course. So it starts off as you begging brands to come to your shop. Now brands are knocking on the door and interested in what we're doing. And so that makes it really fun. Yeah. Um, it's a fun space. It's good energy. It's an old art studio that now feels like our extension of our living room. Uh -huh. And that's how I'd want, you know, again, how I'd want people to feel and they come in that, that level of comfort that we're just here to help you, you know, what are you looking to do and, and how can we help you get there? It's a good thing. And now you also have podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts came, they came along the way and like, they've taken a little bit of a hiatus, but um, it was a good way to again reach an audience that we already had through all our customers and through social media that were just hungry to hear about our region. I think whenever someone pops on the radar talking about the White Mountains, the Green Mountains, places up in up in Maine and in New York, it's it's really fast. It's really it's great because I think they're overshadowed by stuff out west, the stuff you'd see in Colorado, Utah. Mm. Pacific Northwest, Alaska, but we have like such a rich ski culture, run culture here that um, is worth sharing and it's relatable. I think that's a big thing. When we got into this, why I started doing a lot of photography and, and videography was because I had this little bit, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder being like, no, wait, what about us? All these major brands, they, they shoot all their promo videos and photos. They're, none of it's from, very few brands were sharing what we had here. And it's not that I want to like make our overcrowd our mountains or anything, but it's it's so um, our our market's so dense here. Yeah. It's like you want to show stuff first. Like you can hop in your car and come up to our mountains and get any sort of experience you need to go anywhere in the world. Mm. Like we have world class mountains right here, and if you want to go to Europe to do some big big adventures, like you start here. Like you can do everything, learn all the skills you need right here. And then go there. Mm. It's like you don't have to go there to train. You can do it here. And some of our world class athletes, like teammate Chris Davenport, 
like he cut his teeth here you know, yeah. in New Hampshire and a um, lot of a lot of, of world class mountaineers as well. So a lot of rock climbers and ice climbers. Hmm. And yeah, cool. so it's like why not share that and why not if you're a brand why not really push this because not only are you um, reaching a huge market, you're also just helping out the market. Yeah. What's the name of the podcast? Well, so it'd be Ski the Whites, Run the Whites. So the ski and running. And then I do one with the Mount Washington Avalanche Center. So the other one was a public outreach podcast that we didn't do last year because they had a shift in um, organization. But that should resume, I'd hope, this next winter. Uh, so that outreach podcast really highlights the those um, looking for more information on what's happening as far as snow conditions, avalanche conditions, any incidents that happen to mm -hmm. summarize them and learn from them mm -hmm. and then forecast what to expect and how to be better prepared. You know, I think it's our obligation if we're introducing people to the backcountry to also educate them however yeah. possible. Yeah. So the podcast is just one aspect of that. We also do avalanche. We partner with one of the local guides to do avi kit workshops. So if we sell you a Beacon Shovel Probe, you have this opportunity to do this free workshop to learn how to use it and then like continue your education through proper training. Mm. But yeah, we're always looking for avenues to to give back and reach out. Yeah. Educate. Sounds great. I'm yeah. going to listen to that podcast. Please do. <laughs> and you run your own clinic. I do. As a physical therapist? Yes. I think everywhere else in the world we say physio, but <laughs> physio, yeah. Um, yes, I run my own practice by myself, and um, it's been the really the reason why I went out on my own was just I have this opportunity to kind of bridge the athletic world and then the PT world. So um, just through my own experiences as an athlete, what I've learned while I've been a PT, I, I've been a PT for almost ten years, um, and it's been really neat to learn like personally about the body through what I know as a PT and then also have a huge influence on those in the area trying to get into skiing and running. I'm a big advocate of, of preventative care um, and teaching people about their body and, and what's happening when they're doing their sport in like a tissue level mm -hmm. um, and then that gives each athlete the tools to understand a little bit more about maybe what they're feeling and then in turn they can you know have a better experience and just be able to self you know manage themselves and you know especially as we get older um, you know things we don't recover quite as well and things can get sore I do cool. some coaching I coach a few runners um Mostly because I was talked into it. <laughs> Mostly because I understand <laughs> the body and I can help people not get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's fun. It's been it's been inspiring um, to help people get ready for big runs. Most of the people I work with are ultra runners. Okay. And so I've learned a lot just from doing some research and and learning about how to coach and keep people progressing and yeah, keep and it a, fun. Any good advice for everyone who's a keen trail runner here and maybe would like to try an ultra run? I think ultra running, unless you've been around it, I think it's it's a there's a misconception that everyone runs it. You know, I think if you do a 50-kilometer ultra run and you go watch it, if it's a lot of trails, like a lot of people are out 
walking too, mm. you know? So I think of it as like a long, fun day in the woods. Yeah. And, you know, it's not all about how fast you go. It's, it's this huge accomplishment to be able to um, just travel that far on foot. And it feels really incredible to finish one of those. And, and it, it just takes some, you know, I think anyone can do it. I've seen all walks of life finish ultras. It takes a little bit of prep and planning, you know, to, to get your body ready to be, you know, working that long so mm. that you don't get injured. And um, so with some structure, I think it's very achievable. Um, you know, at first, I, when someone said they ran a thir- 50K, I thought, you know, every single person was running for five hours straight. But most people are walking. So so rewarding that you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Comforting. I think that's a big barrier to it, you know. It's, you know, 100 not many people run 100 miles even no. though they say they're running 100 miles, you know. There's some there's walking. There's a lot of walking. Yeah. They call it like a eating contest anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about fueling too is right. like a major part of it. If, yeah. So if you've trained enough, I think if you stay fueled and you hydrate well enough, you should be able to keep going. <laughs> We're approaching the end of this episode and we would like to ask you some questions that we give every guest in our podcast. What are your best tips and tricks to create nature experiences in our everyday life? I think one is uh, like find your find other people, find mentors yeah. to get you out there. And then like you're going to learn a lot. You know, I got into backcountry skiing because my brother pulled me in He's like, you got to try this. I mean, even in, in 2003 when he was teleskiing and skinning, I didn't really get it. But eventually it came full circle. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so he introduced me to the world of, of backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering. And I haven't really looked back since. You know, It was like he sort of enabled that for me yeah. and got me out in the mountains and nature. And that's where I want to be. I mean, it's about finding community. And, and it might not be a mentor. You could hire a guide. But it's like finding other people to do it with. I mean, it's fun to do stuff by yourself, but I think it's can be more rewarding finding yeah. someone else to do it with. So it could f- be like find a local run club, local ski club. It just helps with other people yeah, to help motivate you or to help give you a little more insight to, to get you outside. Even more fun. Just to add on, I think also just try different, Try don't be afraid to try different things. You know, like, like you're saying, you went back into skiing and it, it struck you as like this is what I want to do, but that not, might not be everyone. So I think the more you try different, try different things, and, and the best way to do that is through a group. Mm. Um, I think that. Yeah, group or events like you mm-hmm. sign up for something, and it's yeah. going to force you to yeah, yeah, put yeah. all the work in to mm-hmm. do it, so you're not scared. It's good. Yeah. Which international celebrity would you like to invite on your next trip? I was thinking about this one, and I, I don't know. I've always been really fascinated by Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> has nothing to do with skiing. Um, She's a fascinating I don't even know person. If she, yes. I just I would love to ride chairlifts with her and pick her brain. And, and now a new album out there. Right. I know. Maybe that's what I've been. I've been listening to it, so maybe that's why she's <laughs> on the brain. Um, but yeah, just that's a good she's choice. fascinating. Good choice. Very famous. What about you, Andrew? Uh, I don't. I think Beyonce about, as well. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't turn her down. Jay Z. I would. Uh, you know, I'm not much. I don't have a ton of patience. No. In, in the backcountry <laughs> trail running, so I'd want someone that was on it that could like, you know, was an athletic person for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up. I surfed a lot uh-huh. in when I was in California. So it would have to be Kelly Slater. 
Kelly Slater. Yeah, I'm sure he's he could snowboard or something. <laughs> of course. Yeah. What are your go-to favorite Norona products right now? Right now, I think I wear the Falcatend, the 60 weight jacket all the time. Yeah. It's like in between. It's great for all year round. The lightest mm -hmm. of the lightest. Yeah, but it's still like a down, feels like a yeah. down jacket. I wear that one all the time. Yeah. I think out of this new Senya line, actually, I think the t-shirt I, I really like. I said this earlier. There's just, you can't even feel it on you. And I think that's... It's a good Something thing. it's hard to find in a wicking shirt. Mm. We've tried all the different brands, just with Andrew carrying them in the shop. And the Sanya line will be launched next, next year. spring. Mm -hmm. Next spring, twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah I, I love mid layers. You know, I love um, the hooded mid layer for the Sanya line. That's that's great. You know, for the the Lingen Alpha Lingen Alpha jacket for yeah, the yeah. backcountry skiing. Um, that's, have, I mean, knickers. Knicker, yeah, I guess like the biggest thing that we sell in the shop, we sell a ton of, are the down knickers. Okay. They just make sense. You know, you think about layering and no one ever talks about the lower body and how to do heat management. And so to regulate that with zip on, zip off knickers or the, the Thermo 60 shorts, yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And it's such a great idea. It, it's right? just, it's silly that like, they look silly, but you get used to them. And, but it just makes total sense that if you're going to stop to put on a down jacket, why wouldn't you cover up your legs too? I always feel a little bit American when I wear that short. Oh, yeah? Maybe well, it's because Andrew of the American trail running shorts. Are longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Andrew <laughs> lives in the knickers all winter, so that's why <laughs> I was chuckling. Yeah, and I'm wearing the Svalbard light cotton pants. These are These awesome. Are great. I just love the material. Yeah. Like Again, you come to materials a lot like... The short, like the material, the stretchy material on the Senya shorts. Um, Super light. They're on the Bittehorn shorts. Mm -hmm. Like some overlap there. But yeah, it comes down to like some of the textures and materials and how they hold up and, and yeah. ruggedness. But yeah, the knickers are incredible. It's good. What kind of steps have you taken in your life to live a little more environmentally friendly? Um, I mean, I think Andrew and I are both members of Protect Our Winters. Uh, it's in the ski alliance so i think trying to help them out through policy and trying to change what's going on in our country and from a bigger scale level of, through the government um you know and that's a little less actionable and tangible but important mm -hmm. um i think at home you know we for a while, now we eat a little more meat but we used to not just because of just now if we do it's more local make sure it's coming from a place that isn't um out west in those huge farms mm. um and then just day to day you know doing all the the little things of trying to you know recycle and try and be as green as possible i think our being here and it's been really fascinating to see how um much greener it is and much more electric focused than in the u.s i think there's a lot better infrastructure it seems like here to have an electric car because there's more you mm -hmm. can go charge your car a lot yeah. easier and i think that's coming there was a big bill just passed in the u.s senate and congress that will hopefully allow that to happen um but it's definitely inspiring to see other countries a little ahead of us there um being able to accessible like access e-vehicles and yeah. we drove around i drove i got to drive nico's polestar 
for like 45 minutes. That was really fun. <laughs> Nikolai Schirmer, the yes. Norwegian yeah. ambassador with he, his pole star. Yes, so I got, to, I got to drive that <laughs> up in Senia, which is fun. It's a fun car. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, the same, and pretty much to echo what Hillary said, it's like, it's super challenging. You know, we all make decisions and want to do fun stuff. We want to fly in planes and or eat eat me and <laughs> yeah. make track. It's like consumerism is challenging as a shop owner. It's like all I, sometimes it feels like all I'm doing is just feeding, putting more stuff out there. Yeah. You know, do we need all this stuff? Um, and it, it's hard to be like, you know, it's great about Nerona's being so open about sustainability and like, how can we do better? Mm. And it's all about like, yeah, we're not perfect, but can we do better? Can we make these little improvements? Can we reduce each year and have these long-term goals? to get better. Yeah. And so if you look at what, what did I do last year? How can I reduce my footprint this year? And the same goes for like, yeah, the biggest problem is like the policies and legislation is like, nothing's going to change unless it's both from the bottom up and the top down. Mm. And so trying to get some policies changed to help yeah. get us heading in the right direction is like one of the biggest things that we can do. And, you know, it's kind of sad, but not many people where we live vote and to make the changes and the people that are voting, um, have all have all the power, so mm. it's like this big collective movement that we're trying to enact, and yeah, and hopefully it makes a difference. But like, yeah, trying to be optimistic about it that we can make a change. Yeah, and it's a good idea to sign up for Protect Our Winters. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What's your favorite soundtrack to skiing or like driving to the mountains right now? Beside of Beyonce, then. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It changes all the time. Yeah, we were just listening to some local Norwegian music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Local tunes. Yeah. yeah. No, but I'd say like Spotify playlists, some chill tracks. They call it soft, soft dance. But Marabou State has been on repeat. Yeah. It's a cool band. I can't think of anything. I mean, it's I, the problem with Spotify is you listen to it, but you're not paying attention to who it is. No, you just. You just listen. Yeah. So. I'm like stuck in the Spotify vortex. <laughs> yeah, you could do any of your top. 50. But something upbeat, like definitely. I I I feel like there's been a big 80. I like 80s. Yeah, I like that sound. 80s were good. Yeah, I feel like there's been a renaissance there. I gravitate towards those a little bit. That's good. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to say before we have to say goodbye? Any life mottos or life philosophy yeah live free or die (laughs) that's new hampshire state motto that nikolai found out and he he's been running with that really hard no i think free or die um i guess more from my from physio background just you know i think you know like i was saying like you know we only have one body and you know we have one opportunity to stay healthy and so being active and doing things in moderation, I think are what we need to do. And, um, yeah, just get outside and, and move. And I think that's the best we can do is mm-hmm. for our bodies. That's a good one. Thank you so much for visiting our podcast. Thank you for having it's us. It's been so great. Yeah, thanks having so much you here. for having us. Hope to see you soon again. Yes, absolutely. Norona podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norona Sport. Norona has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929. Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags and skis 
on our website norona.com. There, you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in, our ambassadors and our ambitions in sustainability. Thank you for listening to Norona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature. Nature.